Welcome back to Hackberry House, a podcast devoted to the Word of God and the persecuted Church of North Korea. My name is Bob, and this is podcast number 367. It's January 10, 2016. Well, this week, Mr. Kim supposedly launched an H-bomb. Did he really, or is this just about getting some more attention? Oh, let's give him and North Korea lots of attention this week, the kind that, that takes us to our knees and praying for that nation. I'm reading several articles from my book, Hackberry House, Volume 1, Two Years with North Korea. We'll start with number 67, Jihei's Prison Experience. The story is long, so I'll condense this page from David Hawke's book called Hidden Gulag. Hawke's idea in writing his book is to expose to the light of day what's going on in North Korea. That's one of my goals, too, uh, so that people like you who are listening now will pray. Well, Jihei was a person, a girl born in 1949 in South Hyangyang province in North Korea. She uh, took an active part in the propaganda ministry. Uh, she created patriotic work songs at factories. By 18, 1989, that is, at age 40, her faith in the party began to waver a little bit. She sees a North Korean TV show mocking South Korea's president. And a song on the show intrigued her. She memorized it. December 25, 1992, she teaches the South Korea song to four women at a party. She's reported and arrested, beaten, sexually abused, tries to commit suicide by swallowing cement for teaching the song and trying to get extra food illegally. She's sentenced to three years. Released in 1995, but as an ex-convict, it's hard to make money. She tries peddling food and then selling her blood at transfusion centers. 1998, she escapes to China. She's caught by a trafficker and sold to a Chinese man. She's locked up by her new husband as a sex toy for seven months. She escapes to Weihai in China, works in a restaurant. With six other North Koreans, she steals a boat. The engine breaks down on the way to South Korea. Later, she steals another boat, but she's intercepted and turned over to Chinese border guards, repatriated to North Korea, beaten with broomsticks, forced to kneel hours at a time, and more. Once more released, December 25, 1999. Once more escapes, crossing the frozen Tumen River by Musan into China. She meets a South Korean pastor who assists her and others in an escape. She goes from Weihai to Beijing to Kunming in China. That's a lot of miles. You can look on your map to see where Kunming is. She's caught by the Chinese police near Vietnam. She's released. She walks over the mountains into Vietnam and through Southeast Asia, she gets to Seoul in South Korea. And when asked if she still sings the song that got her into all this trouble, she immediately replies, yes. And now without fear. 
Well, I don't know if she ever came to the Lord, but I know she had the opportunity. Millions in the North Korean paradise don't get that opportunity. Right after you cry, would you pray, God, what can we do? Number 68, how communist is North Korea? This is from Belke's book called Juche, regarding the religion of North Korea. In the Juche, or self-reliance ideological view, the Chinese and Soviets didn't go far enough to implement communism. Well, even from the point of view of classic communists, quote, you, you Korean comrades are not communists at all. You're nationalists. All you are after, all you're after is our ruble. That's what Vladimir Lenin said. Belki says, of course, Lenin was right about the Oriental communists. Mao Zedong was expelled from Comintern. Deng Xiaoping was more capitalist than Bill Clinton. Ho Chi Minh was a Sunday communist, and Kim Il-sung went so far as to rename the Communist Party of Korea to the Workers' Party of Korea. They all professed Marxism-Leninism adapted to local and today's conditions, but Marx and Lenin would be shocked to see China's revised communism. Kim Il-sung ordered his scholars to come out with a new political philosophy, germane to Korea, and so we have Juche. But one who studies the tyrants of earth and their systems will see a common strain. These men hate God. They live like kings. They oppress their people and bring them to ruin. Whether it's Nazism, Communism, Kim Il-sungism, they're all the same. Their origin is Satan. Their doom is sure. And their people are unhappy. What an opportunity for the gospel to show itself and do what it does best, to set the captives free, to proclaim deliverance to the oppressed, to give good news to the poor. Stop and pray now for the re-entrance of the old, old story to the sad, sad people of Chosun. Number 69, Lies Countered by Light. Quoting today from a book by David Hawk again, the same book, I strongly recommend that you download and read the entire work of The Hidden Gulag, G-U-L-A-G, this particular quote is from Anne Applebaum, who wrote the preface. She says, In the fullest possible sense, the contemporary leaders of North Korea are the intellectual and moral descendants of the Stalinists. North Korean camps were built according to a Stalinist model, and they continue to be run that way. As in Stalin's time, North Koreans are arrested for trumped-up political crimes such as reading a foreign newspaper, singing a South Korean pop song, or insulting the authority of the North Korean leadership. As in Stalin's time, North Korean prisoners, even children, are given ludicrous and impossible work quotas to fulfill and are subjected to brutal, irrational punishments. And as in Stalin's time, North Korea's leadership doesn't want anyone to know any of these details, since such revelations not only will damage their foreign reputation, but also put their own regime at risk. Well, that's why you need to read Hawking's book, or Hawk's book. It comes complete with aerial photographs of camps whose existence is still denied by North Korea's leaders, which is also a Stalin thing. 
Certainly after absorbing the details of this book, it will be uh, more difficult for Americans or Europeans to negotiate coldly with their Korean counterparts and not mention human rights violations. South Koreans will find it more difficult to argue in favor of appeasing the northern regime. North Korean police and administrators will find it more difficult to justify their own behavior or to claim that they don't know what's really happening in the camps. And if the full truth about the camps becomes known to the wider population, then whatever support remains for the state constructed by Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il will begin to ebb away. This is not to say that words can make a dictatorship collapse overnight, but words certainly can make a dictatorship collapse over time. Totalitarian regimes are built on lies, and they can be damaged and even destroyed when lies are exposed. Well, well said. We who believe in that eternal word and will keep praying that North Korea will be exposed to its life-changing power as soon as possible. Number 70, Christ in North Korea. I'm using James and Marty Heffley's book, By Their Blood. And we're now beginning a series of articles on the history of the church in Korea. As is true of much of uh, Korean history, the pathway is a bloody one. Go back to 1122 B.C., 5,000 subjects of Chinese rule rebelled and fled to the peninsula that we now associate with Korea, organizing a new state, Chosun, the land of morning calm. And for the next 3,000 years, this hermit kingdom suffered the abuses of Mongolians, Chinese, and Japanese until in 1876 a trade treaty was forced upon it by Japan. Korea was brought out of its shell, and over the next quarter of a century, all of its ports were open to the West. Japan pushed even farther, however. From 1910 to 1945, it occupied Korea totally. What Christian witness had spread was slowly extinguished, but not by the Koreans, but by their foreign hosts. At the end of World War II, the country was divided. More intruders came in, and in the North they still are there. Christians have been murdered en masse during the long occupation of Russian-Chinese-style totalitarian communism. 500 pastors were killed during the Korean War period alone. Thousands to this day languish in a prison gulag, trusting Christ daily for their perseverance and deliverance. That's the rough outline. Now let's go back to fill in the details. It was in the early 1800s that Korean diplomats in Peking, China, met members of the Catholic world system. Contacts were made and secret entrances were attempted into Korea. Catholicism spread rapidly, but was countered by Buddhist priests as Rome, a, you know, a foreign power, was a political threat to their authority over the lives of the Korean people. This anti-foreign fear in Korea, well-founded, unfortunately, climaxed in 1846 by the all-out slaughter of the entire Romanist hierarchy, along with 10,000 of its members. The name of Jesus was dealt a heavy blow. 
but the Protestants were not far behind in their own advance into Korea. In 1882, the United States and Korea, and there was only one Korea then, signed a trade treaty. Protestants now found their way into this little kingdom on the other side of the world. Medical doctors led the way, followed by evangelists and educators. The general pattern of church formation at the beginning was laid out by China missionary John Nevius. Churches were to start in the homes of nationals, and as quickly as possible they were to be under the complete control of the national church. And this was not to be an American thing, nor a Roman one. Christ would prove himself a sufficient leader of men through his spirit and his word. Missionaries would serve as advisors and specialists and then move on. By 1907, Hefley says that over 1,000 self-supporting churches served 120,000 evangelicals. And that was just in the Presbyterian part of the church. Now, a major revival swept across Korea in that year. Mass prayer meetings, confessions of backsliders, conversions of hardened sinners. God was preparing his church for a trial by fire. Well, those of us who pray for such revival in our own day must remember that God's Spirit is poured out for a reason. Pentecost was followed by persecution and probably ever shall be. That's all for this time. Trust that you will pray for the Korean church. Uh, from that start in 1907, uh, you understand that that's, that was in Pyongyang. There was a major revival. That was the Jerusalem of the East in those days. This, was, this is where God was really moving. And well, you know what's in Pyongyang now. Things have changed so drastically. Would you pray for God's people? Pray for another revival for something else to happen there, to set God's people free in these perilous times. Remember, God does good things. In Psalm 85:12, the Lord will give what is good. Let's trust Him for it.